it's really hard to find somebody who doesn't have a really good story. Mm -hmm. We are we are so convinced that there's um, there's this big this big human story, and we all have a piece of it. Hello, this is Barbara St. Clair, and I am your host for Arts in AI for short the podcast sponsored by Creative Pinellas. And I am here today with Lillian Dunlap and Jay Sheldon from Your Real Stories. So just to kick us off, let's find out what Your Real Stories is, and then I'll ask a little bit about each of you. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a very good question. Uh, Your Real Stories is a fabulous idea about uh, getting people's real stories and being able to distribute them widely so that people can actually hear each other's stories and find out that they have much more in common with the other person than they thought they did. So what we try to do at Your Real Stories is to gather people's real stories and then create some art out of it because we want people to, after they hear each other's stories, to be able to learn how to talk across perceived differences. So difference in age or difference in gender, uh, difference in race. Uh, we're convinced that uh, when we learn a little bit more about each other, it's a lot easier to accept one another. But more than just people coming together and sitting together in front of a microphone and telling their story, there Absolutely. is some yes. art to it or yes. some theatrical aspect yeah. of it. Can you tell me about that? What we do, we call theatrical journalism. And we call it theatrical journalism because, uh, for one thing, it represents these two pieces that we've brought together, mine as a journalist and Jay's as a director, of, a theater director and actor as well. And so uh, what we saw was an opportunity to use both journalism and theater to get real stories uh, in forms that people can uh, really enjoy and learn from. Lillian actually invited a handful of people mm -hmm. together with various backgrounds in theater and business and journalism, um, technical theater, as well as performance art. We have a visual artist. We have a graphic designer. Yes. Um, just a, a, the, the group itself was diverse. Before we were Your Real Stories, we started meeting in 2006 just to start to think about things that we could create into the future. One of our board members, who uh, was just one of our team members back yes. then, Linda Steele, she said, oh, I think you guys should read the book, The Help. And of course, Lillian said, nah, nah. I'm not really interested <laughs> in reading that book, like many women that we know. And so when the movie was released, Lillian came to me and said, okay, I think we have to do something about this. So we knew that there were people in our community that had real stories. And this yes. movie was generating a lot of interest about domestic day work in in America so she said okay let's go <laughs> so what we did was we took two camera crews this is the birth of this what we call the Euro stories model now which we've applied to uh, multiple subject matters but it started specifically talking about race when the movie The Help came so we called movie Kobe walk at the time mm -hmm. and uh, took Lillian on one side with a white camera person on one side and me on the other side with a black camera person. And when people exited, we did exit interviews. And we had our whole team of volunteers mm. and with clipboards, getting people's information, collecting data. Very professional. And we got about 60 interviews that night. Mm -hmm. And then Lillian and I went through and looked at all of them. And people 
and and these were like minute to two minute interviews and people some people were extremely forthcoming about very personal details uh having had those things stirred up as a result of watching the film and so we started by we yes. picked six and we called those people and asked if we could sit with them in their homes and interview them for what turned into three four hours <laughs> and Lillian saying okay we have these interviews what are we going to do and so the the logical conclusion for me because of how I feel about the theater and how I have always just my experience in the theater has always been um, if you want to help people understand each other, you know, if you mm-hmm. want to inspire people to think about certain things, there's no better way to do that than through theater. So I said, well, we're going to have to make it theatrical. So we turned them into scripts and we called professional actors and called Bob Devin Jones at Studio at 620, said we have this project we want to do. And as anyone who's familiar with the studio at 620 knows, the answer is always yes. We called it decades of day work. Mm-hmm. Now we have done five. What's really jumping out at me is the art and the creativity and the motivation to tell stories led to the nonprofit, yes. led to the incorporation yes. versus you incorporated yourself and said, all right, this is what we're going to do. Oh, yes. No. Which yes. is really yes. interesting because there's a, it's a sort of um, an organic growth to this. Yes. There was obviously something for both of you. Mm. What was that about the help that got you going? Well, for me, it was, uh, I didn't want to read the book and uh, refused to read the book because I'd already had a personal experience with domestic day work. My mother was a domestic day worker and she was a domestic day worker because of the restrictions on the kinds of work that black women could get when she was a young woman. And historically, we know it's true that that is is what happened, that black women were pushed into domestic day work at an alarming rate. And it it was something that had, um, of course, annoyed me my whole life. And part of that was I knew how smart she was. I mean, I tell you right now that my mother is, to me, still among the smartest women I've ever known. And I know a lot of smart people. Uh, but because of the restrictions of the society, day work was what she was relegated to. And so when you talk about an itch that needed to be scratched, it was that one. So I knew uh, clearly that there were lots of stories. We just needed to find them. And I grew up in um, a very, very small town in central New York in the 70s, which was, it was a predominantly white town. I didn't see much diversity at all growing up, except for on the children's television workshops. So thank God, thank heaven for PBS and for Jim Henson and for the Muppets and Sesame Street. It's always been something that I was aware of. I had holes that needed to be filled and information that I needed to continue to get. Lillian, you are a journalist with a deep and broad background in journalism. Can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, yes, I'd love to. Well, first of all, I moved to St. Petersburg to join the faculty at Pointer, the Pointer Institute for Media Studies, which is a school for journalists, as you know. And uh, before that, though, I I had been a working journalist uh, as a broadcaster uh, in Indiana. I also had connected with a, a national network. And uh, But when I came to 
to uh, St. Petersburg. I was coming from uh, being on faculty at the University of uh, Missouri, which is, by the way, the very first journalism school in the world. I don't know that. Uh, so it was a, a wonderful, wonderful experience. So, so I know what journalism can do. And I think uh, my interest in, in your real stories was, you know, here's, here's another opportunity to get stories and to get more of the story than sometimes you're able to get when you're, when you're doing a journalistic report. Um, so I certainly, I know what journalism can do. I, I'm so grateful that we've got, I'm especially grateful these, these days, that we have people who are uh, professional journalists and who uh, take seriously the, the responsibility of, of uh, getting as much of the story as possible and representing people's voices and you know, speaking to the powerful. I think uh, those are not just slogans or cliches with me. I think it's really important that there are professional journalists who are still dedicated to those kinds of uh, values. What I noticed as a journalist, though, many times, especially as a broadcaster, uh, I'd go out and do a story, I'd come back, I might have a minute, minute and a half, maybe two per story to get that, that out. Never enough. Way too much missing. Uh, too many too many times when you couldn't really get all of the voices that needed to be in that conversation, uh, part of that report, so that people really understood what the complete story was, and it was it was kind of a it was kind of a frustration. But when it came to actually representing the voices of, and, and I don't use voiceless because I don't think people are voiceless. I think we're just not listening. But but when it came to the minority voices, and I don't mean just racial minority, just minority voices. It's very difficult to have those stories told well when you don't have the time or you don't take the time to get uh, a more comprehensive understanding of what the story is. So something that, like your real stories gives us that opportunity because we can sit with people for uh, two, three, four hours and uh, look through their photo album with them and, and get the photos out and talk about things that are important to them ask probing questions several times until we, uh, so that we get the full story. So we really look at it as a, it's a complete privilege mm -hmm. to sit with people mm -hmm. and uh, give them an opportunity to tell their story. What strikes me about what you just said about the soundbite, the one minute, 30 second soundbite, so to speak, if you have a body of knowledge and a point of view, that one minute, one and a half minutes may communicate everything it needs to, but if you are lacking a historical basis, if you are lacking information to put that into context, that one and a half minutes might as well not happen at all. As a matter of fact, or it might be more damaging. So, for example, to go back to what you were saying about domestic workers, if you don't have the context that so many African-American women were sort of routed into being a domestic worker because that was the only job opportunity available for them at the time. If you didn't have that context, you might not understand why the help might have gotten you motivated enough to take an action, which has led to uh, something that's happened for, it sounds like five or eight years with your real stories. That was the starting point. Yes. 
Um, obviously, that moved people enough to motivate yes. you to do more yes. after that. So yes. you did the first three with at Studio 620 with mm-hmm. Bob, Devin Jones. What kind of response did you get when you did those first oh, ones? Incredible. Sold out crowds. <laughs> and then what did people tell you after you know oh. they sat through it? Hmm. Oh, people were were moved in so many ways. So the first one at Studio 620, first of all, we sold out all 120 seats. I think there were people standing. Mm. And uh, we put the, the storytellers themselves in the front row. Always. So Armantha Williams was the first person that we interviewed. And we sat with her. I thought Lillian knew her because, again, remember, she's the journalist. I've never done that, this particular thing at the time. And she said, okay, we're going to go to this woman's house. And I took the camera and the tripod and we had our audio recorder and we had all this equipment. We moved into this woman's apartment. And uh, I didn't know until after we were, until after we left that Lillian didn't already know her. (laughs) We just camped out in her house for about three or four hours. After the first performance and Sharon Scott, who's a remarkable actress, uh, read Armantha's story that we had scripted. And it was about, what, it was a six-minute monologue. Yes. From three hours of interviews, it was a six-minute monologue. So we had distilled it down. And Armantha ran up to me, gave me this big, giant hug, and and said, I thought you said you were going to leave some things out. (gasps) Amazing. Six minutes, and you got everything. That's quite a compliment. (laughs) That was the first one. That was the first one. But you also have other, your real stories yes. that you're doing. What, and yes. what are those? So let's see. We did the first three at Studio 620. Then we did Decades or decades 4 and 5 at Free Fall Theater. And then last year, in 2015, there was an RFP that the city put out for diversity and inclusion training. Mm-hmm. And so CRE, Lillian's for-profit consulting firm, um, CPS, which is another uh, diversity consulting firm in Tampa, mm-hmm. and Your Real Stories packaged together an answer to that RFP. Yeah. The Your Real Stories piece was in response to the city had requested that a component of the diversity program be for community conversations. And um, how was that received? Oh, very mm-hmm. well indeed. The uh, The final, well, we did four of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Jay we said. call them St. Pete Stories. Yes. This is my city. This is my city. St. Pete Pete's Stories. Where you really captured kind of the history in different in people's words, their own history of the city, or it's more their own personal history, and in some cases it overlaps. First of all, it's two acts. Act one is the stories themselves that are portrayed by actors. Act two, which has always happened, it's the whole purpose of doing the theater. When Lillian said, "Okay, we've got these stories. What are we going to do with them?" I said, "Well, we want people to talk across difference." So we're going to put them in a darkened room. We're going to create a theater experience for them. And then act two is an opportunity for them to interact with the storytellers themselves. And it's another way that we make sure that we're doing a good job of preserving the voice of the storytellers because we have them with us. We've, We've never to date told anyone's story without having them right there in the room. In the front row. In the front row. So that there's nothing between them and the actor, uh, Presenting their story, and, which is essential. And then the, so we bring them up, give them an opportunity to speak about the experience of seeing their story unfold, which is a thing unto itself. And then uh, give the audience an opportunity to 
once they've met them in a different way. They've met them through the craft of the actor, through the, the magic of theater itself, through that, that, that lens of being in a theater in the dark, not having any expectations put on you. You're able to let your guard down as an audience member in ways that we don't always. Uh, we, we, we don't. Yeah, we don't, period. We rarely are able to... Um, interact with people without a whole lot of walls in between. So theater helps to break down some of those walls and then to have the real people available. I think there's an accessibility of conversation that, that's not, uh, that, that's actually rare and really priceless. Mm. Many times when you start to interview someone or ask someone if you can interview them, the number one thing they say is, well, I don't know why you want to interview me. I don't have a story. <laughs> Every single person we've interviewed has said that exact same thing. Everyone. Maybe, maybe one person <laughs> knew they had a story. But of the over 50 people we've interviewed to date, the number one sentence is, well, why me? I don't have anything special to so say. So how do you choose who you're going to interview? Well, uh, let's see. When we were uh, looking for people for decades of day work, we were interested in getting... Uh, what what I call the complete story, mm-hmm. and which kind of fits in the way that that uh, that I coach diversity, especially to journalists, uh, because I'm really I'm really interested in having and helping journalists uh, and have helped journalists all over the world to do this, to to ask more questions about what about the story, and to move around and be sure that they get as many perspectives as possible. Sometimes time does not permit that, but when it does, absolutely to do that. And so what we have always been uh, uh, clear about is that every, every performance that we create or every story that we have, we really want to get the complete, as complete a story as possible. And every show that we get uh, put together, we want that to, to, to be as complete as possible uh, also. So. Sometimes we choose uh, people to interview based on who they are and which portion of the story they might bring that otherwise might, may not be brought out. One of the things that happened with uh, Decades was when we interviewed people at Movie Co. Baywalk, we found people who, uh, whose parents, whose mother had been day workers, mm-hmm. who were black. We found uh, middle-aged white men who were um, children when the black maid came and they fell in love with her and then she left and they didn't know where she went and that left them with some emptiness that they were never able really to explain Mm. or or push away. And we interviewed uh, white women who had... So it's the variety. Mm -hmm. So for the show, we, we needed to have... Th- those voices. So every each show that we have, each uh, theatrical performance that we've put together, uh, represents those that variety of perspectives. When it came to St. Pete's stories, we were looking for, first of all, because it's St. Pete's stories, there's a lot of St. Pete. There are a lot of people in St. Pete, and, uh, and there's a very diverse mm-hmm. population. So we really wanted to reach into as many corners as we could and find interesting, well, the stories are always interesting, but to, to go after stories that might represent a piece of the St. Pete story mm-hmm. that you might not hear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to introduce people who came to St. Pete stories 
to their neighbors. Yes. So, so yes, there's an element of selecting a story, but more for from our perspective, it's more, the selection process occurs in selecting the program. So anytime you see a Your Real Stories production, it's, okay, so we're going to tell this story, mm-hmm. and a certain group of people may come because this person is their neighbor or this they're very interested in this story but we're going to make sure that we also include in that program someone yes. that those people might not have ever thought of yes. might not ever have encountered um, might not have any experience with mm-hmm. and so we've interviewed um, for St. Pete's stories let's see the first one included the mayor the deputy mayor Mm-hmm. but also um, Bishop Preston Leonard, mm-hmm. who has been in St. Petersburg as a pastor of Christ Gospel Church since 1956, mm-hmm. worked for St. Pete Lumber, and was constantly being given, being sent white men to be the manager and having to teach them how to do the job that he was doing. And several of them would say, I know this is wrong, but you know, I, they offered me this job and I have a family to feed. And you know, so it is what it is. And he went downtown and asked for a raise and was told that he was at the top of the pay scale for blacks. Mm. And so it, it, so then he went on to explain, you know, because nobody denies that this happened. Everybody knows that this is what happened in our history. But what people forget about is that his social security rate is based on that unfair wage that he spent his whole life working Mm -hmm. and this wonderful man that has served the community well um on different councils and boards and and you know so much so much civic responsibility is still drawing social security on an unfair wage Mm -hmm. and we forget that i'm sorry i just have to say this i don't mean to interrupt but it's so what you just said i want to hold here just for a second and let it penetrate in for a couple reasons one is most people understand social security Mm. and you can distance yourself in a way from wages because you can say, well, I've been in a situation where I was not paid as well, or someone was paid better, or I was paid better. And you know, that's the way the cookie crumbles, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You start to think about social security and the echoes of those things. And everybody has something, a way to understand that. So I, I think that was a really strong example of why, presenting this information as a quote-unquote real story versus as a fact mm-hmm. makes people understand it in a different way. So I wanted to just yeah. slow us so down for a second no. so and stick with that. And, and, and you are absolutely right about that yes. because that is, that's the whole point of that's what it is point. that we do so that people can hear somebody's real experience and how it impacts them. So how do you cast your actors, and is there direction involved in yes. in the performance? Yes. Um, I'm the artistic, artistic director, director of Your Real Stories, and uh, I cast the actors and work with them, uh, diff- varying levels of rehearsal, depending on what time frame and budgets we're working on. But um, Do you yeah. have, like, a, auditions, and or do you just reach out and say, hey, I, I know you would be great for this, or... How do you engage the performing community? We're extremely blessed Mm -hmm. that we started at 620 with Bob Devin Jones. So when we started doing Decades of Day Work, 
he actually called in some favors for us. And he, he said, I said, here are our stories. He said, I'll call Sharon and Paula. Mm-hmm. Right. So that was how we were introduced to Sharon Scott and Paula Barco. Right. And since then, I've called in Andrita Hosey. Bonnie Egan. Bonnie Egan, Roxanne Fay, Christopher Rutherford. We're just very blessed to have a network oh of some spectacular actors. Yeah. So, <laughs> so what... Real stories are you working on now? We're working with Family Resources mm-hmm. and uh, Planning Works, a grant from Foundation for Healthy St. Pete. And we're doing, Your Real Stories is, is doing a little piece of that project. And we'll be telling the stories of LGBTQ homeless youth in Pinellas County. The project, the Family Resources Project, it's, it's, a, it's a multi-pronged attack. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a study. It's a survey to see how um, homelessness affects LGBTQ youth in Pinellas County because it is a common, a large percentage of homeless teenagers in Pinellas County are LGBTQ uh, for the reason that uh, lots of times when children or when kids come out, they're yes. uh, either they're, it's not accepted or their their living situations are no longer something mm-hmm. that they can comfortably maneuver inside of, mm-hmm. or they may in some situations actually be thrown out. One of the the best outcomes, I think, from this project will be that we can identify what it is that young people actually need mm-hmm. from service providers, indeed from parents. So we're interviewing some service providers that have had direct contact with LGBTQ homeless youth. Uh, we're hoping to interview some current people living in homelessness right now. We're looking to tell the story of perhaps somebody who turned out their children and have have reconciled. Mm-hmm. So a, a broad range of stories so that we can explain, help people understand homelessness right. in LGBTQ and, and why it's such an important issue. So you have an interview, it's three hours long. Your performance of that is six minutes or so. Ten, whatever. All right. How how does one take three hours of content and distill it into a a a piece that that ha, you know has a dramatic arc, of mm-hmm. course, because if you're doing it as a dramatic performance, it needs a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. And that can hold people's interest and that isn't so long that it, you know, breaks the rules of theater, which is that people can start feeling their sit bones. Um, (laughs) So how do you do that? Well, we've been honing this particular model since 2010. That's true. And it started because obviously we were talking about when we started with decades of day work, it was really um, obvious that, first of all, we needed to both be in the room. Because that affects how people tell the story. Exactly. We were always in the room together, uh, and we we do the interviews together always. always. So, always. and she's she's getting the the audio recording, and I'm getting the video recording, and then we each go away. Mm-hmm. And uh, with decades of day work, we st- we just made sure that our both of our perspectives were in the writing style. So. Um, especially if we're on a deadline, I'll say, okay, you're going to start this one. I'm going to start this one. Then we pass it back and forth. 
And in, in the early years, there was a lot more, no, no, you can't do it like that. Uh, no, no, you can't say that. Um, that doesn't so much happen anymore yeah, because true. we hear each other yes. in our heads. Well, is it pretty clear to you as you go through that three hours what needs to be pulled out? You know, Does the story reveal yeah, itself? It, it, this is what almost always happens. Uh, we do the interview and, uh, and then Jay and, I, Jay and I will have a conversation about it. And almost always we pick we gotta say that. We gotta say like, that. We'll say that in the car yeah, right. on the way home. Yeah. Oh, well, you know that's, that's gotta be the story. Or, you know, <laughs> there are some things that just pop out. They've got to be there, and so uh, that's a that's a start already. Um, but it is difficult a, to have dramatic arc. It is, especially if there are certain. Lots of times there are things that people say, and again, even though we've got more time, it's still not always enough time to mitigate bias and prejudice in your audience. So there are some things that we say in the car. Oh, I really wish we could say that part, but we definitely don't have enough time to right. say that. Like we can't right. say that right. because it's about preserving voice and protecting exactly. the, the story. So obviously we, we've logged, we have all these things. We have saved hours, hundreds and hundreds of hours of interview with the understanding that we would go long form in the future. But so we have it, but as long as it's short form, there are certain things that um, just have to be left out. Also, for us with the with the model, there are things that we don't have to say because we're also going to have the storyteller sitting mm-hmm. in the front row. Yeah, and then the second half of the program uh, usually has a moderated panel, and the moderator is a professional journalist, mm-hmm. and the panel includes some of the storytellers. And so uh, there's an opportunity for the storyteller, if uh, he or she is on the stage as part of the panel, to answer questions uh, from the audience or to uh, make some additions or, uh, or corrections. And the audience members have an opportunity to ask questions and get more information out of the, out yeah. of the person. So we have uh, many more, we have more opportunities than just the script to hear the story. Yeah. You recently did a festival of... Well, Story Days in Tampa Bay is the... It's that chance for us to... Because now we're, we're... Of course, we're in love with storytelling. But we know very well that storytelling can show up in a variety of forms. And so Story Days in Tampa Bay is that opportunity to provide five, six days of, of uh, ways that stories can be told or sung or danced or seen in an exhibit, or um, experienced in a documentary. So however you connect with story, that's the way we want to present it. The schedule is made up of this wonderful variety of ways that people can access story because we take on partners who are doing that. For example, uh, tell them about the uh, Affirmations Project. The Affirmations Project was a wonderful event that happened this year for the first time. Um, and was part of our festival. Ariana Pablona is the creator of the Affirmations Project. She's a breast cancer survivor in Tampa, and she gathered uh, a dozen women together. Cancer cancer survivors, right. Cancer survivors. And they were photographed. Uh, First of all, they were painted, so body painted. They chose affirmations that, that each of them felt represented their journey with cancer. There were all positive affirmations uh, like, 
victory, strength, believe. I mean, they were just amazing. Yeah, courage, uh, resilience. And so each one of these words was painted on their bodies. And then they put together an exhibit of these photographs. And it was all the family and friends that were there to support each of these women And I just sat there watching all the different families go to their photographs. And, you know, it it, it was, they were all dumbfounded. There was this hush. And and then after a few minutes, what just sort of naturally started happening, I don't think anybody planned it, was the whole family started gathering around the portraits and started taking portraits with the portraits. And it was just breathtaking. So that was a wonderful event. That was one of 24 events that we had this year. On the schedule. Wow. That was great. It's really hard uh, to find somebody who doesn't have a really good story. Mm-hmm. We, are, we are so convinced that, uh, that there's, um, there's this big... Said this, this big human story and we all have a piece of it and every time we can put a few pieces together we grow uh, personally and also um, create a relationship with, uh, with whoever the other person is. It must be really fantastic to be able to reflect back from 2016 on to 2006, 10 years ago and say yes. look what we've done. Yes. So Lillian Dunlap and Jay Sheldon I want to thank you very very much for talking to us about your real stories today. <laughs> thank you. Really, really wonderful program and uh, I'm sure I look forward to participating um, and yeah. being in the audience and to see what you do next. And I should mention that we're collaborating with one of your Creative Pinellas fellows, Helen Hansen French, who's actually working on choreography to one of our stories. Oh, excellent. Then that's <laughs> one of the things we're trying to do at Creative Pinellas is really help collaboration. So that's, that's fantastic uh, news. Thank you yes. very much. Thank you. You've been listening to Arts In, the Creative Pinellas podcast. Sponsored in part by the Pinellas County Board of County Commissioners, visit St. Petersburg Clearwater, and the State of Florida Department of Cultural Affairs. Arts In is produced by Matt and Sheila Cowley, and you can hear more of their great work and some wonderful conversations with visual, literary, and performing artists at our website, creativepinellas.org. This is Barbara St. Clair. Thank you for listening.